to be with you as we gather together to worship our Lord. The title for today's sermon is related to being prepared. Um, for any of you who know or have ever been a Boy Scout, you know the meaning. Uh, it was something we grow up with from the earliest time, uh, hearing that it's important to be prepared. For myself, when I was young, I loved camping and hiking, uh, fishing, anything that was outside I thought was great. Every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., we would gather together as Boy Scouts, and we would sit around and do our memory of uh, memorizing of various things we were supposed to do. Uh, Scout us, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, gentle, Christian, brave, plain, irreverent, all that other stuff. And uh, so we, we, boy, you could just mumble it off. We knew what we were supposed to be. But I remember in my particular patrol, my little group, um, we had on something. We had something on the wall that said, um, and I'm still not clear exactly the real meaning of what it said. But I'll tell you what it said. It said, "It's better to be late at the Golden Gate than to arrive at hell on time." And I can't really tell you clearly what in the world that was about but we had it written on the side of the wall. And I will say it had a purpose in that it did challenge me at least to notice the word hell and said it's not good to arrive there on time. And I don't want to go there. And so at least it challenged me at that point to, to ask myself a little bit about the life that I live. So being prepared was something that uh, even from that time I was challenged saying, don't go to hell, so be prepared. Be clear who you are spiritually, have a right relationship with God. Malachi uh, is a, a, a prophet who had a great deal to say to his people at that time. Uh, we're talking 400 years prior to Christ. We're talking back in the Old Testament time. We're talking a hundred years after the um, uh, rebuilding of the, uh, the, the uh, city of Jerusalem and the temple because the Babylonian uh, exile had already passed by. A hundred years though, somehow people, if we're not careful, we forget our history and we get wrapped up. And I, when I was reading this, I kept thinking about VCBC. And the many people we have in our churches, in our, in our particular church, we have people that have been born here in this city of Vancouver. We have people in our church that were born in Hong Kong and in other places and immigrated to the United States. Our looking back at history is always part of who we are, but how much time we spend remembering those things is uh, very much an individual decision. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, the very end of that chapter, before we move into chapter, chapter 3, it says, Where is the God of judgment? Basically, the meaning from the people of Israel, as Malachi worded it, was that the people of Israel were saying, Where's the beef? Where is God in my life? Where is, we don't see all that he's supposed to be. We realize that we are okay. But God should be judging all these people around us. We've been mistreated in history. We're doing okay now. 
We've had a hundred years to kind of settle into our new community, into our new society. VCBC's had 46 years to settle into this community. If we're not careful, we run the same risk that they run, that they ran at that time, in that they had a hundred years to become a little complacent, to allow the society to change them and who they were and who they were with their relationship with God. To redefine who they were, to where they wanted to be sure that the society liked them, accepted them, and how they functioned, more importantly than even their relationship with God. When we look, we have to to be careful uh, as we ask questions of God. You know, it's it's interesting. We we sometimes pray and we say, God please give me this information or please help me with this thing or help me. We better be careful because sometimes if we ask God to really work in our life, He may give us an answer that we did not expect. He may lead us in a direction we don't really want to go. But the answer was there. And then we pray and we say, God, why aren't you answering me? And in truth, He already has. He's leading you down a more difficult path. He's leading you down a road you did not prepare for. But He has a purpose still for you. C.S. Lewis describes it as God is not a tame lion. You've heard me use that illustration before because I do remember C.S. Lewis's concepts there is to say that God is not bound by our, yours and mine, our values. Not bound by our understanding of God not bound by our desires for how He acts and what He does. That means that His values and understanding of the big picture are very different than our little bitty pictures that we can see. We get glimpses. He has the whole thing in mind. The Israelites presumed that God's care for them would last forever. They presumed everything was going to be okay. So for a hundred years, they had been kind of functioning. They had their temple going. Jerusalem was growing. Everything looked like it was going to be okay. And so their walk with God somehow became, I guess you'd use the word trite. It was just very light, very insignificant. It was still happening They still did what they had to do. And if you'll remember in Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1 says that the the people of Israel, including the priests, were still giving their offerings and their sacrifices, but the quality of what they were giving was the issue. Now, you and I don't usually come in here and bring a lot of dead animals and cut them up and we don't bring a lot of vegetables and pile them up to the ceiling. So we usually talk about tithes and offerings usually referring to money. But it also has to do with our time. It has to do with our attitude. It has to do with our love and our concern and burden for others. So we talk about giving to God. It's not just that particular format of having to, to give those kind of items. But for the people of uh, in Malachi's day, the sacrifice that was given was a problem. And then it was defined even more in detail when we get into chapter 3 and we deal with the issues of tithes and offerings. Chapter 3 
we can see that the first seven verses or so of, of that particular book are basically a response toward the end of chapter 2 where it says, God, where are you? You know, why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you punishing everybody else around us who are not really following you well? Because we know, after all, we're okay. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 say that, indeed, the response that Malachi writes from God by clarifying for those people is to say, I'll send a messenger, a harbinger. That will be John the Baptist. And he will be coming, and he will be coming before Christ. And the Messiah is coming. So your wish is my command. You say you want a Messiah. Worry not, that is coming. Verse 2 begins the real challenge, though, because it says, okay, you said you want it, but you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking a question. You're begging for a response to something that you don't grasp the reality of. Because when Christ comes, He sees all. He knows all. He realizes you treat Him as a second class. God. So, in verses 2 through 4, we begin to see it and it describes and it says, like a refining fire will your lives be evaluated. Will your attitudes be evaluated? Will your motivation be evaluated? Are you sure you want this to happen? You're asking for it. But do you really want it? Christ's mission uh, very much is to, to, to bring in answers. But at the same time, there's, there's, a, there's a reality in, in these particular verses that says that two-thirds of the Jewish people will fail the test. Only one-third will even make it through it. Again, in the Scripture, the challenge is to say, are you sure that you're asking the right question? You're rushing ahead assuming that your spiritual life is in order when in fact, maybe you need to spend a little more time on your knees. Maybe you need to humble yourself a bit more. I look at this Scripture and I have to apply it to myself. I'm not going to presume on you, but when we read the Word of God, it does need to speak to us. And I look at this and I say, you know, sometimes I look at God and say, God, why is it this way? And really I should be looking in a mirror and saying, why are you this way? Why do you act the way you do? Why do you say the things you say? Why do you talk about other people the way you do? Why do you criticize others when in fact your relationship with me does not reflect a daily walk that is healthy for anybody? Whether it's be the layman or the ministers, the Lord is calling all the people Chinese, Canadian, Hispanics, Jews, Gentiles, all to not allow ourselves to fall asleep when it comes to our spiritual walk. Our holiness is what God demands. He desires to see us walk with Him in fellowship and closeness. 
so that when we do talk to Him, when we do ask for His guidance, when we do ask that Jesus comes soon, when we pray that prayer, Jesus comes soon, we look at the world around us, we're frustrated, and we say we have no control. Jesus comes soon. That we can ask it because we are walking with Jesus so closely, it's a reasonable request. Do we respect and fear God to where we do not fear the refining that will occur? According to the Scripture, there will be evaluation as to whether or not we are truly walking with God. In verse 5 it says, So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. There were sorcerers. There were witches. There were adulterers. There were per- All of these people had entered into their circle of people that they knew. Now, we have to understand why. Part of it had to do with their lack of clarity, talking to the Jewish people, for what was right and wrong. And certainly, the church has the same responsibility. We as a church must be careful who come in to our circle. Not that we're going to have those walking around every day, but we need to be sure that we help people to have a proper walk with God. Their problem was they had compromised and allowed more and more of that kind of thinking because as it says in the Scripture, they began to reach a point that, in their case, it was followers of God, the Jewish people, marrying those people who were foreigners with other gods. And those people with other gods and other theology were bringing in their thinking. And they were bringing in their ideas. And they were bringing, so the point for us is to realize our thinking, our ideas, our values, our morals do impact the life of the church. It does impact our witness. It did impact their lives to the point that God said, those people have brought this in and there are sorcerers. There are those who are adulterers because their values and their morals are not up to speed. They will I judge. They will I not accept their behavior. And that behavior, if it has reached into your community and has corrupted and polluted you, you too are responsible. As you know, for myself, I'm what I call, well, you may not know this, I use the term optimistic realist to describe myself. I've been doing this for probably 30 years. And I enjoy it because everybody that hears me describe myself as an optimistic realist thinks it's a little nutty. And you don't need to comment about that. Just let that one go. But the point is, to be an optimist and still be a realist is not easy. But I found with most realists, they get so boring, so dry, so lacking in joy and happiness that they're not any fun to be around. On the other hand, to get around a bunch of optimists, they sometimes get a little naive and a little silly. They don't quite get it that this is really not going to be as easy as you think it's going to be. So I really want the balance in my life. I seek to find that that's in the middle. 
I want to go after it with expectation that something great is going to happen. I'm looking at 2016 and saying, BCBC is going to watch God do some great things. But that's only if we're willing to be dependent on God. And if we're willing to be bold in our movement. If we're willing to try new things, even with the risk of failing. Starting new things. Stepping out in faith and confidence. I believe that it's important for Christians to be optimistic and positive. You know, one of my heroes... Now, listen to the whole story before you judge me. One of my heroes when I was young was a comedian. Oh, I love to watch this guy. So funny. His name was Bill Cosby. Now, anybody that's watched the news or has read anything about the news, is aware. You know, Bill Cosby, I can still remember him talking about driving a car in San Francisco. He drove to the top of the hill, and when he got to the top of the hill, some idiot had put a stop sign at the top of the hill. Now, the San Francisco hills are significant. And then he said he put on his emergency brake because he was driving a standard. Then he looked in his mirror, and another car was parked behind him. Then he looked behind him, and there was another car behind him. Then eventually... They all kept their emergency brake on and turned the whole hill into a used car lot because they couldn't move the cars. They couldn't get over the hill. Nobody could get it shifted out of the gear and moving on. You know, he had some of the funniest and really quite clean humor. He talked about why air exists. And his answer about why air exists is to blow up footballs and basketballs. So, I mean, it it was really funny. He was great. But for any of you who have watched the news recently, we know that's not the end of the story about Bill Cosby. Because this guy that was so funny is also currently going through a major catastrophe as, we, as he has been revealed to have had, uh, have had a number of uh, very negative sexual relationships with women. And I don't need to go into details because you know what I'm talking about. But so my hero, I kind of lost a little bit. But, you know, it, it it was disappointing because now we know the rest of the story. He's known, you know, for in my mind, was such a wonderful humorist. But the reality is that God knows from the very beginning who we are. And he was able through all those years, I mean the man is in his 70s, through all those years he was able to hide this information and continue to have improper relationships. Now that's a very nice statement from what I'm understanding of this. Very improper may be the right term. Relationships with women over the years. God knew. God knows. You can't hide it. You can't hide your behavior. You can't hide who you are and what you do. And God is trying to challenge these people. And He's saying, the refiner's fire is coming. It will cleanly see the reality of who you are. Verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. And have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Still has hope. I don't know why God is so good. 
He knows already that we're failures. He already knew that the people here were failures. But he still said, I'll still give you another chance. If you'll repent, there's still hope. What you do in your home is known by God. What you do with your boyfriend or your girlfriend is known by God. What you do when nobody is watching is known by God. And yet, he says, if you'll repent, if you'll change, I'm still there. Still, they ask the question. Verse 7, if we look at that, it says, We can see the repentance is what God demanded of the religious leaders. Still, there was confusion. Because they're still asking the question, Repent from what? What did we do? We're the good guys. It's everybody around us. It's our society's fault. It's the society that made all the problems, not us. And in verse 8 to 12, we can see that the clarification comes from Malachi. Malachi says, number one, number one, tithing and offerings. He says, you're robbing me. He says that that's what God says is you're stealing from me. Says your tithes and offerings, they must be brought to the to the storehouse, and those tithes will be shared. And you, if you rob me, you rob the people, because they had a, a kind of a triple system for tithing. You brought the first tithe, then that tithe was divided again, and it was divided up and given to the priests in order that they would have enough food, and then there would be another tithe that would be given out of that to the poor. So they were already involved in social concerns. You know, we have a, one of our Bible groups, Bible study groups on Sunday morning at 11.30 is dealing with the topic of prayer, care, and social concern. When the church gets beyond our walls, we begin to really live as the church in our community. We're presenting ourselves in a new way. The church then was one that was trying to be proactive, except, of course, it was not really a church. It was the people of of God in the, in the Jewish community, but it was still the same religious body of followers of God who were stepping forward. And as we, we think about how our tithes are given and how they're used, it is important. They used food to provide ways of, of, of assisting people to be able to eat and to be able to stay alive. Today, we, we tend to use finances along that line. But it can have the same result as long as we're free about how we use the resources that we have in serving Him. If VCBC desires to be a growing and healthy church and do the will of God, with no, we need to function with no regard or concern that we will survive. I remember getting into a conversation with a guy a number of years back and we were talking about how in some places around the world, the church has died off. There used to be a very famous church in that place. There is no church there today. Does that mean the church had no purpose? I would say no. But maybe the people ended up moving to another location. And in that particular case, that was exactly what had happened. That whole city was no longer there to be found. If you ever go to the churches that are found in the book of Revelation, all you'll find are ruins today. 
Because those churches, those cities have changed. The time went by and gradually the churches are gone. But they were relocated in other places in the lives of people. Again, the church is the people of God. It's not the building. So we have to be alive in our walk. But the Scripture says that those people were robbers when they kept the money and refused to give their tithes. And so the question and the challenge that we have is to be sure that we don't find ourselves in the same position. Sin number two, beyond tithing, this sin is the one that I think strikes me the most because it was arrogant bargaining with God over the value of serving God. They were going to God and they were saying in verse 13, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and doing and going about like mourners uh, before the Lord God Almighty? But now we call the arrogant uh, blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. I don't know how many of you have ever been through that impersonally, but I've been through that question where I thought, you know, God, I've been doing all I can for you. I've been trying hard. I've been trying to be a good Christian. Do it the right way. I've been going to church every Sunday. I go to the Bible study on Sunday. I go to the fellowship group. I'm in a music group or I'm in a drama group. I'm really busy for you, God. But I'm not getting anything back. You know, I'm not even really satisfied. The preacher gets, he just preaches, it's just a bunch of stuff. I don't get anything out of it. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with the activities in the church. Uh, This is just not working for me. This is not fair, God. I do so much and what are you doing? The Scripture basically here is challenging us to say that being a mercenary is kind of what we're doing. We're saying, I'll do this much for you, you do this much for me. And if you don't do it back, God, if I'm dissatisfied with what you give back, I'm out of here. I've had enough, I can leave. Now, I think you're probably like I am. I've known a lot of friends that um, used to come to church were really, really involved in church. One of my best buddies was this way. He and his wife got married. And um, he wasn't real sure, but they talked about it a lot before they got married, that which church they were going to go to, and because they weren't from the same church. Eventually, they settled on a church, and they went there for about five years. They were there every week. And my friend was very happy. Things were clicking along, and he was involved with the men's group. And they had a kind of a, a Christmas um, uh, 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 program outside the church where they would use the, the manger scene and the, the, the whole, whole thing. And he was one of the main leaders. And I remember he brought in camels and horses and live animals and everything else. To this. He was so excited because it really matched who he was. He was just thrilled to be able to be involved. But as time went on, his wife, began to get involved with their daughter doing going on runs his daughter was or their daughter was a runner in high school and is, and uh, she certainly she had started when she was in junior high 
And as time had gone on, she, she began to run more and more, and the mom began to go with her, and they would travel every weekend. They were gone all the time. And so finally then, when she started coming home, was home on weekends, she wouldn't go with him, even though she was back in town. And gradually, he began to kind of follow her instead of him lead with that particular thing. And so more after a period of time, neither one of them could be found anywhere within the church. Now, being within the church body... I think it's not great, but they weren't serving God. This scripture says that there was an arrogance toward the attitude of serving God. There was an attitude that if I do something for you or in your name, then I should get this much result. I give this much, I get that much. And God is saying, you know, that's the way of the world. That's the way the world bargains. When you go bargain for a higher salary, you can bargain that way. But you're not, this is a different game. And God says, I'm insulted. I'm insulted that that you would treat me in that way. And that the only way you would want to serve me is with the assumption that you're going to get something out of it. What my friend and his wife experienced is not unusual. There are many, many people who have managed to play that kind of relationship with God. They want something better, but they don't put out the effort to make it better. I've also known people that got in the exact same situation who said, my church is missing the mark in some areas, and I'm going to help it to get better. And they put in more effort and more time. Arrogant bargaining with God, verses 13 to 15. Very, very scary. Because, But then the good news. Again, God keeps giving good news. Verse 16. Verse 16, God says, However, things will work out, can work out if you stick in here. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. The point being, if we listen, not to me, but listen to God. Listen to the Word of God. If we recognize that that kind of treatment toward God is wrong and we're willing to change, not just know it in your head, not another academic experience, but that you really say to yourself, how can I make my service to God be so impactful, impacting my classmates, my friends? How can we have more of my friends who come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Is that important to me? Is that important to God? If it is, I will put out the effort. I will put out the time. And whether or not my name becomes famous or not, doesn't matter. Whether I receive a reward or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I receive another badge or not, it doesn't matter. The focus is making God satisfied that I'm trying my best to serve Him with all that I am. And the Scripture goes on. And then we move into uh, chapter 4 as it goes moves into the description of reality. Because in verse 16 to 18 of chapter 3, we can see that faithfulness is not about reward, but it's about relationship. And that's what we just described. And so in chapter 4, we move into the fact that the day of the Lord is the wrap-up. 
And rather than adding more to this particular Scripture, the way I look at Malachi is he has been moving all the way through this whole process to get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4 he says, The day of the Lord is coming, and not to be feared if we are repenting and depending on Him. Wrapping up in Malachi's prophecy is the goal of simply stating that God is the judge of all. He's the one that will evaluate your service. He's the one that will evaluate your tithes. He's the one that will evaluate your, your offerings and how you work. You know, we tend to want to do it ourselves, but that's not exactly what he's telling us to do. So, as we reflect over Malachi and we look at the fact that the day of the Lord is coming, and indeed, Jesus will come, and there will be a judgment. And that it is something that we have to be prepared for the refining fire, just like the people of Israel were challenged to do. I'd like for us to review very quickly, just go over a list of things that we find in the book of Malachi. And I'm going to read these quickly. It's just a list. Number one, the book of Malachi says that God loves His people, the people that He chooses to love. See, that's hard on us. We tend to want to say we want Him to love those of us who have chosen Him. But He chooses. He chose to love Jacob's people, not Esau's. Some of us would say that doesn't seem fair. Some of us would say that that didn't make a lot of sense to us in the first place. really doesn't matter. God is God, not you. Number two, God is disappointed with the lack of honor given to Him by the priests and the Israelites in the book of Malachi. Worship should be pure and done with our best focus and motivation. Number four, God can see our hearts and knows when we are only playing games with Him. Number five, in the future, Gentiles will be His people as well because they will worship Him appropriately. That's not in chapter 3, but that is one that was a very, very exciting scripture that we find in Malachi. Number six, the priests or the religious leaders of Israel were not committed completely. They played games. Number seven, God will curse the priests who are unrighteous with their leadership. Number eight, God's covenant with Levi was one of life and peace. Number 10, priests marrying foreign wives with other gods is wrong. This is wrong for all. It's a challenge to say that we have people who marry from, with those who have different gods and the challenges that it brings to a marriage. Weeping and saying why God is insulting to God. Weeping and saying why God is insulting to God. Take our responsibility for your own decisions. Quit blaming others. Number 12, Ashley Madison values insult God. We've been hearing about Ashley Madison on our uh, news recently. How uh, it's a major uh, website talking about those who are married having affairs with those, being introduced to other married couples and having affairs and this kind of thing. Those values are an insult to God. Number 13, divorce is not God's preference. 
Number 14. Saying we are weary to God means nothing. Because in truth, it's usually because we need to change. Number 15. Tithes and offerings are important to God for they show our values. And number 16. The day of the Lord is coming. Be prepared. Brothers and sisters, being prepared is the name of the game. We need to recognize that we do sin. And in their case, they were talking about tithes and offerings. In the way that they complained about serving God, they, they weeped and cried and said, Oh, poor us. Oh, poor us. Let us not be that way with God. Let us be people who are honest with ourselves and with God. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you today, we ask that you would work in our hearts, that we would find joy and excitement and privilege and creativity, that we would stretch out as a church and reach out in your name, that we would desire to work together for your kingdom to impact our lives, our spiritual walk, as well as those lost people around us, that they might come to know You. Father, where we are weak, we confess. And we ask You to give us strength. When we are sad, we ask for Your joy. For we desire to be happy in our walk with You. Father, when we are frustrated, we ask that You would make us a blessing to others. Father, we come before You asking that we would be prepared. That we would not fear the refiner's fire. That we would not fear the day Jesus comes for us. But that we would see it with excitement because we know the future is great. In Jesus' name.